Let me add my word of welcome. Uh, we love everyone who visits with us on a Sunday morning. We know that you have a lot of places you could be, but you've chosen to be here. You've honored us with your presence, and so we want to honor you by thanking you. I do want to echo what Truett said. You know, a lot of our college students are back in town. If you're part of our church family and you've been at home for the summer, welcome back. If you are looking for a church home in the city of Nashville, we're grateful that you're here this morning. Let us know how we can help you get connected. Um, but we're grateful that everyone is here this morning. We have worshiped through singing. We have worshiped through corporate prayer. We're now going to worship through the reading of God's word together. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, let me invite you to open to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book in the Old Testament, so you probably should be able to find it quickly. Deuteronomy, where Bible reading plans often go to languish and die, okay? I know most of us don't read Deuteronomy, but it is so living and active and very applicable uh, to our time together today. This is our fourth and final week in the book of Deuteronomy. And just as we saw two godly women, two godly leaders in our church, not only Jessica and Riley, but the students who were here, we're grateful for them. Uh, it is Family Emphasis Month. And so I'm going to ask my son Isaiah if he would join me on the platform. And he is going to read our text from Deuteronomy chapter 1. So let me invite you to stand along with us in honor of God's word. And we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 1. And Isaiah is going to read for us verses 6, 7, and 8. The Lord our God spoke to us at Harab. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Resume your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and their neighbors in Harabah, the hill country, the Judean foothills, the Negeva, and the sea coast, to the land of the Canaanites into Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates River. See, I have set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their future descendants. I'll say the word of the Lord if you wouldn't mind saying thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the students in our congregation. We thank you that there are infants, there are babies, there are senior adults. We know the church in the book of Acts is multi-generational, and you're doing something here, and we praise you for that. We pray that these leaders who read scripture, who lead us in prayer, would know that they don't have to wait to be leaders in the church. They are leaders now. So thank you for arresting our attention through the reading of your word. We ask that in the next several moments you would awaken our hearts, our eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you would have for us to see. And Lord, give us the courage and the faith to obey it when we leave here in just a moment. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, here we are, fourth and final week in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, and we read six verse, or three verses, verses 6, 7, and 8. There's a whole lot going on here in this text, so I will just recap briefly for us here. Verse 6, the Lord God spoke to us at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, and he said, you've stayed at this mountain long enough, resume your journey to the promised land, the land of the Canaanites in verse 7, and then in verse 8, see, I have set this land before you. So enter and take possession of the land which I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their future descendants. One of the first things I want you to see in this text that I think will be helpful for us, not only today, but in the months and the years ahead, 
is that the people of God were about to enter into the promised land as we just read, a land flowing with milk and honey. We would all pray for those promised land moments. We would all pray for good things and great flourishing pastures in our future story that God is writing. But what I want you to know is oftentimes wilderness moments precede life-giving spiritual growth that lies just ahead for you. It's a reality. It was a reality thousands of years ago through the words of Moses, God's mouthpiece to his children, the people of God. It's true in 2022. Wilderness moments often precede life-giving spiritual growth that may lie just ahead for you. Several weeks ago, I was going to leave the country to go meet with some of our global workers, and uh, my daughter said, well, let's spend a little bit of time together before you head out for a week. And I said, great. What do you want to do? And she and I share a love for all things space exploration. And so she said, can we go to the Space and Rocket Center, which is in Huntsville, Alabama? Now, I know that may not be at your top of the list, but I absolutely love it. I geek out on that stuff. Tomorrow, Artemis is being launched to go around the moon this coming week. Like, fantastic sci-fi exploration stuff. Deep blue hero stuff. Like, I love it. And so I said, yes, let's go. So we got in the car. It's a 90-minute journey to Huntsville from Nashville. Um, and we had only been going down a few miles down the road, looking forward to that promised land of great activity and engagement, looking at moon rocks, seeing where the explorers literally flew these vehicles, couldn't wait to get there. But a few miles down the road, she said, Dad, um, do you think it would be okay if we just listened to some Harry Styles while we drive to Huntsville? So for those of you that love Harry, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be critical. I, I like some of Harry's music, okay, as it was, okay, music for a sushi restaurant might be my favorite. I'm kind of over watermelon sugar. I hope you are as well, okay? Um, but, and, and I don't know if you know this, but like Harry was in Dunkirk. I'm a big history movie buff. Like Harry had a cameo in Dunkirk, came strong with it, might want to check it out. So I'm good with Harry. I'm good with him. But that is not what I wanted to do for 90 minutes on the way to the Space and Rocket Center. Felt a tad bit like, and I'm kind of joking here, felt a little bit like a wilderness for a long time before getting to the promised land. Now, I'm just simply illustrating the obvious. Happens all the time in life. Sometimes you got to go through moments that you'd rather not be in, really aren't fun and enjoyable, in order to get where God is leading you to in your future. And I want to encourage you to do something. Don't, don't waste your wilderness do not waste your wilderness. Now, one of the things I want to illustrate for you that's happening in this text, the people were at Horeb that we just saw in verse 6, which is Mount Sinai, okay? Now, when Moses says these words here in Deuteronomy 1, he's kind of retelling the history that he's already delivered to the people in the book of Numbers, which happened almost 40 years prior, one of the things that had happened was when God led his people out of slavery and out of bondage in Egypt... They, they led, he led them through the Red Sea, the waters parted, they walked through on dry ground, and they get to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, which was very much almost like a staging point where God gave them the Ten Commandments. We saw that last week. And it was the Lord saying, I'm leading you to the promised land. I promised your fathers. I'm promising you. I will lead you to the promised land. Here's some very important things you need to know before you get there. And from Mount Sinai to a place called Kadesh Barnea, okay, where, where the people were at the doorstep of going into the promised land is where we're reading today. It's about an 11-day walk. Now, let me that's, that's a lot, and there's, there's a history that we really got to appreciate here, but everybody not, may not geek out over it. Let me just put this map on the screen real quickly, okay? I think this will help you appreciate what's happening among God's people. 
When they came from Egypt across the Red Sea and they entered here around where we believe Mount Sinai is, somewhere right here, okay? From here, when they got the Ten Commandments and made their way to Kadesh Barnea, which is at the foot of the promised land. So, so this is, you know, right here is you've got where modern day Israel is. You've got Jerusalem. You've got Galilee. You've got the Dead Sea. You've got the area of Capernaum at the top of the map where Jesus grew up. Like they're right here about to enter the promised land. And they had come to this point. And they got here right to the edge of the promised land. It takes about 11 days. This isn't me. This isn't some travel log. This isn't Rick Steve telling us this. Okay, this is, if you go back and read chapter 1, we read 6, 7, and 8. If you read in verse 2, it'll tell you it's an 11-day walk from here to here. They were standing right here 38 years prior to this text that we read, and the Lord said, go take possession of this land. And many of the people were afraid. There's people already living in this land. We don't know what the future holds. You ever been at the doorstep of a moment where you're kind of like there's hopeful anticipation about your future, but you're also scared about the unknown? I mentioned global workers. What if you feel called into the mission field? Or you feel called to share the gospel with, with your suite mate on your, on your dorm hall? And you're like, the line between faith and insanity feels razor thin, right? And that's how they felt. And they're like, we shouldn't go. So the Lord raised up 12 men, kind of as spies. And they went into the promised land. And they come back and they're like, yeah, there's a lot of people living in there. And they're big people. They're strong people. But it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And two guys named Joshua and Caleb said, God's told us to go in. We should go in. And even after hearing of this report... The people, the entire people were like, we're not going. We're scared. We're fearful of stepping into the future. We're not going. And the Lord was so frustrated and angry. I have prepared this for you. I promised your forefathers this, and you won't go in. So what the Lord did, put that map back on the screen, would you? So what the Lord did is he said, I tell you what, you're going to wander around in the wilderness for the next four decades until those of you who were disobedient and wouldn't go in until you drop dead in the wilderness. And I'll bless your children, and I'll let them go in, but you're not going in. So I want to illustrate for you, it takes 11 days to go from here to here, but the Lord said, you don't want to go in here? I'm going to turn you back, and you're going to wander for 40 years in a land that really only takes a week and a half to get there. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, I have driven from here to here and back. You can see where people could get lost easily in the desert. You could. People get lost in the desert all the time. The American Southwest, they get lost like it could happen, but the Lord caused them to wander around because they wouldn't step into what he called them to do. It's possible. Let me just illustrate something here. It's possible that you may be in a wilderness this morning because you, you have rebelled against God. You refuse to be obedient to him. It's possible you could be in a wilderness moment because of something sinful in your life. I've had those seasons in my life. You may have as well. Here's what I want you to know. What we're reading right here is Moses in chapter 1 verbatim telling of their wandering in the wilderness that comes to us from the book of Numbers, and he's telling them, do, do, do you remember when we were at this place 38 years ago and we rebelled and wouldn't go in? Let's don't do that again. Let's learn from this. Let's, let's repent of that and trust God. So if you find yourself in a wilderness moment, maybe of your own doing, we've probably all been there at one point, repent and turn to God. Don't waste your wilderness. Repentance and faith and trust in Jesus is the most hopeful of things. But for so many of us, we've been told that oh, repentance is hard, it's burdensome, and sin, oh, we don't want to preach or talk about that. If you need to come out of the wilderness and step into the future story God's writing about your life because you need to repent and turn to him, do it. Don't waste that, okay? You could be on the threshold of some promising moments you're robbing yourself of.
However, the people hadn't done anything wrong when we're reading this text in Deuteronomy. They're about to go in, and Moses is just saying, let's not only learn from what we just experienced so that we don't remain stiff-necked and hard-hearted when we get into the promised land, okay? We know where that leads. But he also says this, it's time to go. Like, it's time to go into the promised land. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6, what does it say? The Lord our God spoke to us at Sinai, and he said, you've stayed here at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and come down off the mountain and go into the promised land. They had wandered around for 38 years while literally the generation who was disobedient dropped dead in the wilderness, and now, because Moses ain't going into the promised land, now the next generation's about to go into the promised land. And in order to do that, they had to come down off the mountain and descend into the desert and make their way towards the promised land. Now, this is really important for us because here's what you need to know. There comes a, a moment in your life where the Lord prompts you to leave the mountaintop and to resume your journey by descending down into the valley. There comes a moment in time where the Lord says, you young lady, you young man, you sir, you ma'am, it is time for you, you are my child, it's time to break camp, come down off the mountaintop, descend into the valley, and embrace the journey that I've called you to obediently follow me on. There comes a moment for all of us to do that. And that's what he's saying here, you've been here long enough. Now I want to I just throw that out there when we think about family emphasis month. Talking about family emphasis month in the life of our church, we've illustrated it with different elements today. There may be parents in the room, maybe parents in our congregation. Amy and I have felt this way. Life is a grind, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and you're exhausted, and you just realize a week goes by, a year of weeks goes by, a decade goes by, and you've just been grinding it out. And, and, and God's intent was for parents to pass their faith on to the next generation. You realize, I've just been so busy, or maybe I got lazy, or maybe I got complacent. I have, I have abdicated, or I've gotten... I've gotten complacent with my responsibility to pass my faith on to the next generation. For some of us in the room, if we are parents, it may be it's time to, to give up or abandon the convenient and the comfort and the complacency of being on the mountaintop and descend into the valley. Now, that's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. It could be messy. But it's time to re-engage the spiritual journey that God's called you to. And that could be, as a parent, pouring in the gospel to the next generation. Got a lot of college students in the room. Had a lot of college students that were here at our 9 o'clock service. That could mean, let me talk to you if you're a member of our church, you've been tracking with us. It could mean that you've attended a life group, you've attended the gatherings that we have. We got one tonight. Okay, we got one that Truett talked about tonight. And you've attended, but you know you have leadership ability. You know that God is raising up godly women and godly men in this church to lead not only your peers or at your campus, but the next generation and you know that this is a moment where it's not just another semester to ease back in and punch out those widgets and get your degree. That is so important. But God is calling you to come out of what is easy or what is perhaps known and step into the unknown of leading others. This could be your moment where the Lord is saying, come off that mountaintop. Everybody wants to be on the mountaintop. Come back into the valley. Roll up those sleeves where it's hard, it's challenging, it's messy. But you can make an eternal impact for me. It may be that. Now look, several years ago in 2012, I had a chance to go to Kathmandu, Nepal. And one of the things we did when we left Kathmandu is we flew from Kathmandu to Bangkok, Thailand. Kathmandu is in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. They are absolutely beautiful. And I mean, you lose count. It's not 10s and 20s. It's 40s and 50s of these snow-covered mountaintops. And of course, Mount Everest is there. 
I didn't get really close to Mount Everest, but have you ever taken off from a plane in Nashville to fly home or go somewhere? Have you ever looked down to see what you, can you see your neighborhood? Can you see Belmont? Can you see Lips? Can you see Vandy? Like, have you ever looked? And you may be able to see things that you can discern for what? Five or six minutes, maybe, right? And then you're either above the clouds or you're, you're so far away, it just kind of gets real vague. You can't really make sense, sense of it. When we looked out the window, the pilot pointed out which one was Mount Everest. And you can see it. It's slightly above the others. And as we flew for 52 minutes from Nepal to Thailand, you could see Mount Everest. It's that big on the horizon. You could see all these mountains. I just sat there worshiping like, God, there's nobody like you. Who could think up that stuff? Who could make something on such a grand scale? That is unbelievable. The mountains are awesome. They're beautiful, right? Don't you like pictures of mountains? Snow covered, makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. It's outstanding. They asked Sir Edmund Hillary, why'd you climb Mount Everest? He said, because it's there. That's my kind of dude right there. Like, don't overthink it. It's there. Let's go. But did you know if you've read his journals, like, sometimes when you get close to the top, you might in 24 hours go 100 yards. The, the weight and the gravity is so hard, you can't breathe. You have to take canisters of oxygen up there. Here's what I want to tell you. Mountaintops are beautiful. I'm telling you some of my own experiences. You see a mountaintop, you look at them in the movies, it looks warm, it looks great, it looks inviting. Did you know that, that on most mountaintops, there's not enough up there to sustain life for an extended period of time? There's nothing on the mountaintop that can sustain you for a long time, generally speaking. At some point, like we, we, we go in our spiritual life, or maybe this is just me, I thought this growing up in church, but not really embracing my faith until I was finishing up my college years. Like we, we go through kind of trying to jump from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop because it's not fun being in the valley. It's not fun being down there with the vantage point. Like I want to be up here on top. Did you know, I think we've, we've sold ourselves short on that because most of our spiritual moments, I'm going to suggest to you, many of our spiritual moments of growth and flourishing happen in the valley. They don't happen on the mountaintop. But somebody's told us to avoid the valley and go to the mountaintop. My dear friend who lives in Thompson Station who owns a tree nursery, I said, your roses are beautiful. Like, these are fantastic. And I'm not even like a floral guy. I don't even have a green thumb. Like, we are killing, like, our fiddle leaf figs. And everything that somebody gives us, Amy's like, we should just tell people at the door, don't bring a plant in this home. It ain't going to make it. So I saw his roses, and I'm like, these are beautiful. And he offered up. You know where I buy them? I was like, that was my next question. That was not my next question, but I was like, yeah, absolutely. What you got? He's like, I buy them in Portland, Oregon. I said, why are you buy them in Portland, Oregon? So there's something about the way Mount Hood, that beautiful mountain that you see off in the distance, and the way the, 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 the landscape of the, the, the mountains that come through there from Vancouver to Seattle all the way down, it kind of makes this bowl. It's a valley where the water runs together and the soil is fertile, and it's just plentiful with all the nutrients that these things need to just blossom and grow. And in that moment, I knew, like, the mountaintops are beautiful, but you can't grow stuff up there. Life isn't sustained up there. It's in the valley where some of the most fertile soil is for you to grow and flourish. And it's the same way, spiritually speaking. For some of us, this is a call from Moses to his people, and we need to learn from it. The Lord is saying, you've been on the mountaintop long enough. And it's time for you to continue, resume your journey, roll up your sleeves, and descend into the valley. I gave a couple of maybe some simple illustrations of that. If you're a college student, if you are a parent, it's, it's time to re-engage the journey that the Lord has called you to. Don't waste your wilderness. And when you hear the call of the Lord to come down off the mountaintop and get in the valley and roll up your sleeves and lead, 
for his glory and your joy, don't waste that either. What he's telling the people is, in order for us to go to the promised land, you got to come down off the mountain. And so one of the things I want you to know is right here as they're about to go off the mountain, the Lord is reminding them how good he is to his people. You see, God is exceedingly good to his people. God is exceedingly good to his people, and he gives them, he gives us an inheritance that you can take hold of and enjoy. Now look, you and I, if the Lord says, you've been up here long enough, it's time for you to lead, it's time for you to serve, it's time for you to share the gospel with your neighbor or your sweet mate because you've been benefiting from it enough and what I'm doing in and through you is intended to go through you to them. We ought to obey God because he's God. As if he needed to coax and encourage us, but, but I'm so good to you. So don't you want to do this? He doesn't know us that, but here's what he says. Come down off the mountain and go through the valley because that's the way you get to the promised land that I've set aside for you. Like he literally went ahead of them. Have you ever prayed, Lord, go ahead of me? Lord, make a way for me. We prayed that prayer eight years ago for our church. Lord, go ahead of us. Please help us find a location where we can rent and meet in the city of Nashville. Lord, go ahead of us and give us influence with the gospel to reach people that maybe haven't heard the gospel. Nashville, the city of Nashville, is over-churched. There's a lot of church buildings. It's under-gospeled. And we need lots of churches all kinds of churches. Got a lot of friends that are pastors in this city. We need all kinds of churches that make much of Jesus and live and teach and call people to flourish according to his truth in this book. We need them growing and flourishing right now in our church, in our city. You ever pray, Lord, go ahead of us, find us a place. Lord, go ahead of me, provide for me in this aspect of my college studies. Do you ever pray, Lord, go ahead of me? He's already going ahead of them to say, if you'll just do this, I'm already there waiting on you. I'm already there waiting on you in your future. Did you see what he said in verse 8? Read with me. I have set this land before you. If you will obey me, I'm already in your future waiting on you, and I've set something up for you. And he literally, for these people, had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. He had promised them, that's why we call it the promised land, I'm going to provide a place for you where you can put down roots, you can stop traveling, and you can actually take possession of it. And that's why in verse 7, I thought Isaiah crushed it. It's hard when you're 14, you ask to stand up in front of a couple hundred people and read about the Araba, the hill country, the foothills of the Judeans, the Negev, the land of the Canaanites, the Lebanon, the Euphrates River. Verse 7 is the Lord saying, here's kind of the outline for the land I'm leading you to, which, as I mentioned, we've come to know as modern-day Israel. Like, I'm leading you to this land. But, but here's what the Lord says. There's good things for you. I'm already there working on your behalf, but I want you to remember something. I've set it out for you. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. You're not good enough. I, God doesn't bless us so that we will love him. He is generous to us because he's God. And he wants them to know when you get there, you didn't earn or engage or receive this land because of your might and your strength, but because of who I am. And I choose to give my children good things. God is a father who loves to give his children good things that will help us flourish. God would never allow pain or hardship into your life unless there was a purpose it could serve to help you look more like Jesus and increase, if you choose to see it this way, increase your joy and your gratefulness for who Jesus is. He loves to give his children good things. Now let me just pause and say this for just a moment. We're talking about these people like he's going to give them a physical land to enter into. I want you to clearly hear me say we don't worship God for what we will get out of it. I don't preach a prosperity gospel, Hunter, Truett, any guest preacher that's on this platform. We will never preach or teach. We follow God because here's what's in it for us. 
We follow him because he is God and he is worthy of our praise and he has created us for relationship with him. And those of us that are in this church have discovered, we are not perfect, we're far from it. But what we have discovered in a vertical relationship with God is we've tapped back into his original design for how humans can not only just survive in this beautiful but broken world, but flourish. And when this relationship starts growing and going well, then all the other relationships, dating, engagement, neighbors, with our parents, with our children, they've got a chance to be, how should I say, effective or flourish as well when this vertical relationship is right, these other ones can get right. And one of the things that happens is we love God for who he is. We are grateful that what we found in him we couldn't find anywhere else. We don't worship him for what we get out of it. But sometimes he does provide good gifts for his children. We have been praying. You know this story. If you're a guest, you may not. But we've been praying for a number of years. We lease this property. And as cool as this room is and as cool as the building is, we're out of space. We're out of space for preschool children. We're out of space for parking. It is like crazy. And walking across the street is like taking your life in your own hands. Most days of the week, thank goodness for our officers. We're so grateful for law enforcement. They help us here. We need a place to grow into. And the Lord went ahead of us, which we've purchased a property five-tenths of a mile from here on Ackland Avenue, Ackland and Elliott, which is like you could throw a rock and hit Belmont's campus. So excited about being closer to Lipscomb, being closer to Belmont. So excited about what God's doing. He literally went ahead of us and gave us an inheritance of a physical property that if we steward it well could be a gospel outpost for his glory in the city of Nashville until the Lord returns. Sometimes he provides. One of our global workers has been praying about a place in a city in Europe that they can live. They're trying to get planted in the city of Paris. They're trying to figure out where they should live. Been praying about it, and the Lord provided a 300-square-foot apartment on the fifth floor with no elevators in a city of 12 million. I had a chance recently with this brother in Christ to pray and return our gratitude that the Lord, he doesn't owe any of us anything, but he's provided a physical piece of property so that we can make much of him. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he, he, he makes a way for you to go to the college you want to go to. Sometimes he gives you a home that, that is large enough to open up to your neighbors for a life group or a small group or have college students over. There are families in this church who have houses that are big enough where they're like, what can we host? Sometimes God does that. I want to encourage you with something that Moses wanted the people to know. Everything you got is because God has been generous. Be grateful for it. This goes for me, this goes for all of us. Be grateful for it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and he, and he gives to whom he chooses to give and bless generously. Sometimes he does that. Now, if you're like, all right, Aaron, I, I get it, I love Jesus, but it wouldn't be bad if he'd throw a few things my way. <laughs> I don't worship him for the wrong reasons, but like, I am praying about this, I am praying about that. Here, here's what I want you to know. I'm not Jewish. You may not be Jewish. We are not the Israelites. So how does this apply to us now? What inheritance do we have? Well, I'm going to tell you something. In North America, we often think about blessing and favor in terms of monetary or physical things. Blessing and favor of God in the Old Testament meant his presence. No matter what hell comes your way, you won't go through it alone. Because the Lord Jesus Christ says, all you need to do is be silent. I will advocate and fight on your behalf. Trust me. You won't go through it alone. And when you do have increase and he puts things in your hands that are nice to enjoy and bless others with, he says, I'm with you in this as well. It's to have the presence of God. So what is our inheritance? What has God generously given to us? 
Well, Hebrews 1.3 says that the Son of God, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of the Father. Everything that can be known about God has been revealed in Jesus. John 1.14 says the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh, God incarnate, fully God, 100% God, no mistakes, fully righteous, fully human, knowing what it's like to be one of us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. I'm going to tell you something. Our greatest inheritance as the people of God has got nothing to do with property or possession. I know you know that. They knew that. And Moses is like, before you enter the best moments of your life, don't forget that the favor of the Lord has nothing to do with possession or physical inheritance. It has to do with the presence of God. The best inheritance that you and I have ever received, now or forever, will be to embrace and enjoy the person of Jesus now and forever. He has given us of his Son. And did you see what it says in verse 8? Look at this. See, I've set this land before you. Enter and take possession of the land. How does this text apply to us in 2022? If you're a follower of Jesus, God's saying, I have withheld nothing from you so that you can flourish. Embrace my son. Grow to appreciate him. Grow in intimacy with him and find everything that your heart's after and flourish in relationship with my son. For some of us, it's coming down off the mountain and embracing Jesus like we've never done before. Never done before. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning and you're like, look, I'm just, I'm just exploring the claims of Christ. Or maybe you're here like, somebody invited me and I didn't want to let them down. I, I always want to acknowledge that. Anybody could be in any of our rooms and say, I don't know what I think about this. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to keep reading and exploring the claims of Christ. And what you will find is that everything he promises, everything God promises his people comes true in the person of Jesus. He is trustworthy, he is faithful, he is consistent, he is steady, he gives confidence, he gives joy, he gives significance, he gives purpose, he gives meaning. And those of us that are in Christ have discovered that in him. And that's why we make much of Jesus. That's why we would risk telling our neighbors about Jesus. That's why we would want you to know Jesus. So the joy and the hope that we have could be yours. And if that's what you need to do, roll up your sleeves and come down the valley and your spiritual journey starts with placing your faith in Jesus, then begin there. That would be our hope and our prayer for you. But if you read Deuteronomy and you read all 66 books of the Bible, what you're going to see is, yeah, sometimes I love that there are moments of wilderness in the Bible. God hadn't scrubbed out all the hardship. And I won't promise you following Jesus won't make everything perfect and blissful. The 12 dudes who followed him, 11 of them were committed, and 11 of them had, had some serious hardships for following him. But he says, I won't waste your wilderness if you'll work with me on this. I will work in you to increase your joy when I lead you into your future. And I'm standing there waiting on you if you have the courage and the faith to follow me where I'm inviting you. That's what's revealed in here. That's what we would want for you. And that's out of Deuteronomy, a book that very rarely we go read. There's tons of great stuff in all of Scripture, and it's all true in Jesus. So here's what I think might be helpful. Let me encourage you to do something with what you've heard from this text what you've heard in a song, maybe as Amanda and Rebecca, I'm so grateful for their leadership, maybe as they sung a lyric of the song, it just ministered to you. So do something with what you've heard, what you've sung, what you've prayed. If you don't do something with what you've experienced in this room, there's a good chance you'll leave it right here when you go into your other six days of the week. So I've always found it helpful to do this. Let me encourage you just to bow your head and close your eyes. 
That's not in Scripture. And if you don't want to, guess what? You don't have to. But I've found that that helps me eliminate some distractions. There'll be a little bit of movement. The worship team's coming back up to the platform. So you'll hear some, some shuffling around and some moving. But I want to challenge and encourage you to apply something that God has revealed to you in our hour or so together this morning. You have honored us with your presence. We want to honor you by challenging you to step into the future that God is inviting you into. I don't know what you need to do, but whether it's place your faith in Jesus for the first time or be obedient to what he's asking you to do, step up in leadership or your own spiritual growth, let me give you about 120 seconds. You pray as you feel led. And then Amanda and Rebecca will ask us to stand and sing in response to the truth that we've experienced while we've been gathered corporately this morning. My prayer is that if you leave this room and you don't have what you need, my prayer is that you would ask Jesus for it before you leave this room. Don't miss that opportunity.